Welcome back to Dr. Bruce. Today I take you on a very personal voyage into some of my deepest inquiry. All my life I have sought some kind of contact with that which we call the biosphere, nature, or Gaia. In recent years I have begun to draw ever closer to her. I have felt her in my hands, working the soil from our organic farm in the Santa Cruz Mountains, beheld her majesty in travels through great biomes such as the Amazon rainforest, and sought her secrets in my quest to divulge the origin of life itself. This has led to encounters with what I call the Madre, Spanish for the Mother, the entity that for me represents the sentient yet very alien presence that is the planetary living Bolus. The following interview, conducted appropriately in Sierra Madre, California, in November 2012, is the first of two parts in what became a conversation with the Madre. This outpouring came at a particularly sensitive time in my life, immediately following the death of my own mother. The reason I'd like to record you is because uh, the energy of what you said was so beautiful, and I would like to uh, hold that. And then you talked about hope. You gave a very loving yet reasoned approach to it that resonated with me very strongly and uh, helped to give context for what I'm, what I'm experiencing myself personally. reason for hope. When you look in and you see it flowing all around, hope is everywhere. It dominates, infuses, it surrounds. There is nothing but hope. And our minds create this dross that sort of floats on the surface that isn't hope. And you can just allow yourself total immersion in it. That's all there is. Because you know, life on Earth, the fact that it survived four billion years, if that isn't hope, you know, the complexity of creatures and the creation of art and science and mind and joy and babies born. And biology does amazing tricks and mechanisms to make get something to be alive and keep it alive against all odds. If that isn't hope, I don't know what is. And so it's, it's like the entire bolus of life is just one huge expression of positivity. And we invent the other. The human monkey has conjured up something in the face of that which is audacious. Things like despair or distraction. 
the distraction of ideological battles or the necessary distraction of logistics, uh, building sewer systems. Those are great and those are beautiful. But these other distractions that are lack of hope, that is despair, that is darkness, it's the most demonic, horrific, and solvable thing. But it's a, it's a big thing, but it's not based in life. It's not based on the evidence. And so the challenge of the probably the 21st century is if you could get it into a room and identify it, it's one thing. It's a single entity, and it wants to take everything. It wants no prisoners. It's dark and it's big and it's diffuse. Thumbs like a gas. It finds its way in everywhere. Inside yourself, when you feel depression or, you know, worry about the world or just despair, worry and concern in the day-to-day, am I doing enough? Did I do enough stuff? You know, doom is ever around the corner if I didn't finish those emails. You know, it's almost like in the movie... uh, time bandits the devil just loved technology and the devil had calculators and all this stuff that was when you went to hell it was full of tech (laughs) and why because uh, I think if people are focused on tech that means they're slaves now but they're slaves to something which is the never ending task they're in the galley they're pulling on the oars because all that email will keep you locked down until you get to the point where, and of course, you can never keep up with all the email, but it becomes your definition of who you are. Did I answer that email? And then the monster rises. in Facebook, it's it's rising in tech. The logicians are doing fine. They're joyously carrying out their DNS setups and all that, you know, quite oblivious. But for the souls that are attached to the system, it crushes them, crushes their hearts. You know, the study that came out where they put sensors on people while they were doing email and found out horrible statistics of people doing no breathing. So what happens is the body of all those people, and we're talking millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people that are texting, and they're totally mind-focused, they're mesmerized, and they're now attuned to that without breath. Somewhere in there, there's this thing that is, I'm dying. I'm doing, but I'm dying. I'm buzzed, I'm wired with my cortisol and my adrenaline, but the body is losing hope. So collectively, shriveling up, you know. Smart nerds are going out bungee jumping and (laughs) mountain biking and, you know, 
But for some slice of us sensitive souls that get hooked on this stuff and don't take care, uh, we despair, you know. Um, and then we start reading the scary stuff, you know, we start reading the bad memes, the conspiracy theories and all that stuff. So then it's tied together. And the TV shows and the, the trauma. Now we're, we're PTSD victims. We're more and more traumatized. And the thing grows. And uh, it's a doozy. And when it starts really young, when it starts at three years old, when the little baby grabs that iPhone and is totally fascinated and is actually texting somebody, attempting to imitate an adult, they see that as the value, that social interaction, that people laugh at it and it's funny. And the kid's also going to hear cool music and all the other wonders. Then that kid grows up not looking in people's eyes. So when you look in the eye, it's just no other communication channel more powerful than the eye. And we are starting to not look in people's eyes. So the dark thing is that I can do it. I can do this. I can replace the communication network that the primate always had, the most powerful, which is gaze and eye contact with, I got them in my own network. Now, of course, this sounds like it's conspiracy theory, too, and it maybe it's just an emergent thing, but when eye contact goes and society goes somewhere else, we're different. We're like an android, and we lose eye contact. I'm kind of an autist autistic person. It's taken me a lifetime to be able to make eye contact without feeling discomfort a whole lifetime and there's still a reaction. If I see people walking down the street toward me, I'm immediately in, in a state of panic or worry because it's people. I'm, I'm definitely a sucker for this kind of thing that people equal bad and it came from early stuff. But then I work, and I work so hard to feel the love and give love and try to be with the group. But I worked a long time to get here, so I'm, I'm not going to get distracted. But you imagine the millions of children that are now doing this, the, the zombie apocalypse, they're calling. It's huge. I'm a father of some technology, and I collect technology, and... I have this huge computer collection. I've tracked this thing. You know, I have working computers from 50 years ago. I've talked to all the people that invented it, all the way back to Bletchley Park and Johnny von Neumann's stuff. And, you know, I really grokked it, how it was built, who built it, and why, how they never predicted it would go so far. But along with it, the rise of this monster, this dark monster. And it's so subtle. In today's world, there is reason for hope. You know, I travel around, I go to a place you'd think there'd be no hope, Pakistan. And what do I see? Everywhere is hope. The infrastructure elves are happily working. So there's great coffee shops, and there's better infrastructure. Some beautiful new museums have been built. The Pashtun areas are getting wired so that they have connectivity. There's an explosion in Pashtun. Uh, dance and song on YouTube. 
it brings joy to some of these people. Like their culture actually has its own channel, which it never had before. You know, and there's there's corruption, then there's there's drone attacks and bombings. But in the middle of all that, in a country like that, there's so much hope in people. New universities everywhere, everywhere. Women are moving into the professions. When I spoke at the university this year, there's a whole section of beautiful sisters, we call them, on beautiful hijab and colorful. They're all like, there's the color section. And they're PhD students at a really top school. There's a clump of guys, too. They're the majority. But mm. if I, when I would do a talk eight years ago, there were all no women. So hope is is burgeoning in Pakistan. No kidding. Mm. And it's pent up. Uh, but the people are developing their world. So if it's burgeoning there, how do we in this country, how have we fallen off the wagon? Why is it so many of us think there's no hope? And in, in the most hopeless place in the world we think is so much. I think humanity, I mean, the last 20 years, the, the progress made is breathtaking. If you if you took a person from 1989, you know, spring of 89, and you described the world of 2012, they would say, that is the most beautiful fantasy I've ever heard. <laughs> You're telling me that in South Africa, you know, there's not only a unified government with the black, with Mandela as the oh, as a great statesman, but there's a soccer city that was built in Soweto with a fantastic shining stadium of beautiful design, African tile, and there's a stream, there's a stream of, of uh, 400,000 people going to the World Cup final in, in this, and, and there's rapid transit into Soweto, and if you told that person that, they say, you're a fool, one, and a dreamer, it will never be. Or you could say, in that same person in 1989, that you can take a high-speed train with beautiful services uh, between wonderful cafes at high speed, goes from St. Petersburg to Moscow, and that goes on. And there's this beautiful new airports, and there's a wonderful uh, creative scene in Russia. And there's go to China, and there's uh, you know hundred thousand high rises and shopping malls, and uh, world's fairs being held in 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 Shanghai. And there are five hundred thousand people a day at this world's fair, and it's the most spectacular mm. thing. They would say. You know, you've been drinking the science fiction Kool-Aid, kid, because and that everybody is totally connected with free, open uh, email. They can share video. They it doesn't matter where they are. Uh, there's a few places like there's a little country called North Korea where it's not happening, uh, but Cuba's wired and Outer Mongolia's wired, and 
uh, Swazi tribesmen that Swaziland created a constitution entirely through cell phone messages under a baobab tree. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. The king said, I don't want this king tribe thing anymore. We want a constitution. Everyone meet at the baobab tree. And they made a constitution with texting. Um, for, and because everyone needed to vote on things and put their ideas in, and it took only a week. And they drank a lot of beer. And he said, I don't want this tribe thing anymore. We want a modern society here. And we have the audacity to think that there's no hope and the planet's running toward doom. Who gave us that message? You know, and of course there's, you know, climate change and global warming and the destruction of the rainforest. But again, that person from 1989, their view of the future was thermonuclear Armageddon if the Soviet Union should come apart. Very likely. I mean, internal thermonuclear exchange inside between Kazakhstan and who held the weapons, an accident. The danger was extreme. Didn't happen. It's the hugest, biggest gift we've been given in a thousand years. That those things got packed away and taken apart, and the fuel rods are stored. If you talk about the machinery of of despair, its greatest expression was the world's thermal nuclear arsenal, and they were designed by the best logicians, the best logistics people, to work. They were designed to work and work well and work in an overkill mode. And so the best minds of 50 years were put in to creating that system. It never got used. It fell apart. And no one was, we, nobody went into the streets. We never had a huge ticker tape parade. And yet it was the greatest defeat of despair that ever happened. Astounding. Astounding. That was despair's greatest uh, chance, you know, the, of a destructive force to take everything. And it was defeated. But how? How? By hope. Soviet Union collapse. There was a single memo that still exists. It's in a museum, I think. The memo was from the Kremlin, and I'm doing a history talk now, but it's all relevant. The memo came from basically Gorbachev from the Kremlin. It went to Eric Honecker, the, then the absolutely you know, severe uh, communist leader of East Germany. And it said... We will not intervene in your internal security matters. They were having a lot of protests, etc. What that did was it relaxed that pressure of the puppetry, the puppet mastery of that regime. That regime only existed and can only put the kind of terror into people it could because their back was held by the Kremlin. The Kremlin basically said, we're not your back at the moment. And you know what happened? Everyone ran away. Even the secret police people. It's like, we're out of here. People ran for the border. And 
was astonishing. I mean, they ran for the border at Austria first. They brought wire cutters and they cut their way across fences. And there were these Germans going on holiday and they started pouring across. And there were these protests in Leipzig and places like that. And then they ran to the wall and they just started banging and banging and banging. You know, and, and it was hope. And then, boom, <laughs> the people were being reunified. And, uh, and I kind of lived that. I mean, I lived in Prague right after that. I, I banged a piece out of the wall myself. It was the springtime of 1990, but I established a software lab there. And hope triumphed. And it was almost that the machine just gave up. It was tired. It was just tired. And then the hope welled up. reason for hope I think that uh, we just have to say no to lack of hope because it's a disease it's certainly in me I mean I find I find it every day you know I, I wake up and I'm in the same the same Paul is over this country and it's very severe over the US when you fly in from another country it rests down on you the creature and in some sense, the Republican Party, its defeat, I mean, they use the power of lack of hope and despair and a panic and fear. And they got millions of people to go along with it. And you can get a lot of mileage out of that. But the non-white, angry male population said, no, not into that kind of thing. You know, we're into a guy that plays basketball, shoots hoops. <laughs> Anybody that shoots hoops is a hope type of a guy, right? <laughs> you know, some guy that shoots hoops all day and you know, during the election can't be. He's not in the thrall of, uh, he's not, you know, oh dear, what are they doing to me? You know, the, Richard Nixon did not shoot hoops. <laughs> so... It's rising, but um, it's such a shame that uh, there's still so many lives being stolen, so many moments and days being stolen by people feeling terrible, mainlining the news. Galen's mom's a 90-year-old woman bent over with dementia. She's there watching this giant TV is blasting out bad story after bad story until she's just kind of, you know, it's basically the ending of her life. You know, why should it be this beautiful little woman traumatized? Why, why are we traumatizing these souls, allowing these people to be traumatized again and again until they're totally in post-traumatic? What I do in my practice, I mean, what I see coming, this is kind of what my podcast, the Dr. Bruce podcast, would be about, is... You are being traumatized, and you have been traumatized by the system, and there's a reason for us to say no. You have to have a practice. There's exercises you must do to train yourself like a warrior. 
if it's like a samurai or a guy with a sword coming at you, you have to have the moves to defend yourself. It comes from everywhere in society. It comes from the person you just talk to, to, you know, advertising that, you know, that you're not getting the sexy women, you know, that they look at you, but they really don't want you. And it's almost like the sexy ad comes and you have to do some kind of a blocking action. And it might be that if you studied that business and how they make those messages, thinking of the people who are putting that commercial together and seeing that beautiful model broken down on the set crying because she feels so alone or she's bulimic and like, okay, I don't believe that. Well, that was false. And that's not only false, it's criminal. So that's your samurai defense. Block that one. Don't watch TV. Don't get sucked in. Or, you know, when someone says something to you, don't buy into it and just sort of repeat, oh, yeah, I hear that they're polluting, you know, the skies. You know, these general kind of despairing that there's another force or power out there. Don't just buy into that. You know, say, no, I, I don't particularly believe that, you know, because that's criticizing another group of people and saying there's malicious people out there. That's wrong. That's, that's just hurting people. You know, that, that implies that X agency is all these evil people. That's just offensive. What if they heard you saying that and they're working really hard, they're trying to do their jobs? You know, that's your trauma against them. say there are people who are so wrapped in conspiracy and and almost like they're in a superstitious rapture there's a lot of them in the u.s and the anglo-saxon countries have a proclivity for this islam has a big problem right now islam is enwrapped in conspiracy and it's wrapped in trauma it's in in, in the sway of a huge dark force the people know that they can more clearly see the force than in their world and, and we're seeing it here. But I really feel for them because, you know, they see it directly. A young man will wrap himself in bombs and go out and blow up a whole marketplace because he's been so traumatized by, say, the story of the nephew of the prophet who um, was killed. And one particular Islamic sect screams and cries. Once a year, there are people professionally trained to get crowds into total agony and, and to hate. And, and you hear them on the street, and they're trained in schools to come out and flagellate themselves and feel the grief of this event that happened 1,200 years ago. And one young man will be so moved by this that they'll go and they'll blow up Sunnis. You know, that's trauma right on the face. That's that's that force. Our little traumas are harder to see. You know, why should someone have the right to do that to another human soul and human mind, especially a young mind? 
So in this country, as there, there are young people in their teens and their 20s. They see all this. They see it clearly, like the bullshit. There's some guys up in Santa Cruz that are helping with the podcast, and one of them's into permaculture, and he's a no-bullshit guy. He sees the bullshit. And he says, we've got to connect with the land again. You know, they have clear vision. And really, the best thing is to unify these, these hopeful, optimistic, mostly young people, to just say no to the bullshit, to develop strategies to cope. They've developed some practices. They've become the samurai. You know, when you come out of, if you would say, experiences that are super powerful, or you face darkness, the whole world must look pretty trivial for a while. I mean, all this stuff is like, you're worried about that, or... But then we fall back into believing that world, and we revalue, we put the coins back in the slots and say, oh, okay, yeah, I think that's important again. But these journeyers and the young people, if, if they could be empowered, you know, through the experiences, through their own lives, their own businesses, through voices, older voices like us saying, don't believe any of that stuff. If the Madre, the entirety of life on Earth, has some kind of collective form of will, it may well manifest primarily as the drive to survive. One could then fantasize or conjecture that this Madre might seek contact with its most precocious progeny, the manic yet astounding monkeys called humankind. Why would she do this? as a possible mechanism for her own survival. But as she made the monkey manic, we came up with something wonderful yet demonic, technology. And the Madre now has a competitor. Tune in to part two to see how this drama may play out. Thanks to Mystical Sun for the soundtrack from his album Energy Mind Consciousness artfully laid down by Chris Amon. Artwork and site support by his brother, Jacob Amon. Peruvian musician William provided the beautiful guitar intro, and I joined him in singing part of an Icaro, which you will hear next. This and other episodes of Dr. Bruce are available for remixing for your projects under our Creative Commons license. Find all podcasts as well as images, video, writing, and contributions from other listeners at www.drbruce.org.